Welcome to Leveraging Leadership, where we unpack the art of business leadership. I'm your host, Emily Sander, C-suite executive turned leadership coach. Jeff, welcome to Leveraging Leadership. What's uh, what's going on in your week so far? Hey, Emily, it is it is great to be here. Uh, the week's going well. You know, the the week we're recording this is a holiday week. Just got done with the fourth. Uh, had a lot of good family time and uh, ready and to get back. All of our fingers. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. On all the fingers, all the fingers, all the toes, we're all good. That's yeah. a win. Yeah. yeah. And I have yeah. to say, I noticed you have, is that a typewriter behind you? Uh, it is. Yes. That is a hundred year old typewriter. Wow. Um, my grandmother used to write her lesson plans. She was a teacher Okay. Uh, and used to write her lesson plans on that. And my cousin gave it to me when I published my first book. As kind of a <laughs> kind of a cool thing, so so yeah, it's great. That's very cool. Yeah, I so said that is an old school, a real old school typewriter. And I used to, I bought an old quote unquote old electronic typewriter. Oh yeah, just for yeah. fun. To, and I wrote letters back and forth. To my mom just just for fun. But that's an actual. I don't know what you call those, but the even before oh, yeah. the electronic yeah. typewriters, the, the manual typewriter, the manual it, typewriters. It, yeah, very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Awesome. So you have an extensive background in um, IT and technology and live in that world. How did, just by way of background, how did you first get into that? Is that something you intended to do or did you fall into that? How did you get into that? No, it was the, it was the farthest thing from my mind. <laughs> in, in, in high school, uh, I wanted to be a rock star, not a computer programmer. Right. Uh, so I, I played guitar and wrote music and uh, even went to school, went to uh, college to major in music theory and composition. And, and Emily, I found out something pretty important pretty quickly. You have to have talent. And I did not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and was really lost. I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I mean, for really since the time, I don't know, probably seventh grade all the way through uh, freshman year of college, it's all I ever dreamed of. It's all I ever worked on. Uh, and so I dropped out of school and was just kind of casting about, right? And that was about the time that the that the home PC was just coming to market Um you know, IBM released one and it was, I don't know, 10 grand or something <laughs> ridiculous like that. I mean, ridiculous for that time, especially. But about that time, then the Commodore 64 came out and it was affordable, right? So I, on a lark, I bought one because I really hadn't been all that interested in tech uh, in uh, in school. Uh, so I bought one and what I what I fell in love with was writing software. Uh, the this the Commodore sixty four became my new instrument. I could make it. Huh. I could make it do whatever it I wanted it to do. <laughs> yeah, I could make it sing. Uh, and I I fell in love with talking to people about the problems that they were experiencing, and then solving those problems through code. Uh, and uh, I was going to do that the rest of my career. Just write code, write code, write code. Uh, I took a detour well not a detour i took a right turn into management at some point but uh it's been about tech ever since and that would have been gosh that was the late 70s early 80s uh so i spent 40 years in tech it was a wonderful wonderful ride you've seen a lot then in those 30 to 40 years a few things have <laughs> changed you know slowly uh, a few gradually. Things. yes yes um you know uh we still when i got my first job in tech we still used punch cards 
Oh, wow. Um, yeah, on the mainframe. Okay. Still still did that. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I can remember, you know, a, a few years doing this and a buddy of mine and I were looking at these these uh, PCs they were bringing into the company, right? We were used to w- working on these 3270 terminals. Uh, they were dumb terminals. Uh, and, uh, you know, all of a sudden they've got these mice sitting around. It's like, what are those things? Real, re- real programmers don't need wow. mice to code. <laughs> what did you use before mice? Uh, the keyboard. That was oh, it. Short, shortcuts? Was it. Or, yeah, okay. yeah. There was no Blue. such thing as a graphical user interface. It was all... It was all text based. Ah, so okay. all typing. It was all typing, like you're, the typewriter. You were old school. You got practice. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Got yeah. your practice in. So I worked with CIOs and also uh-huh. CTOs, and they yeah. served a similar function at the various places I was in. Yeah. But just for reference, is what's the distinction there? So um, it, I, I could go for hours on that <laughs> alone. CIO, Chief Information Officer. <laughs> Typically, they are focused on the internal uh, information technology for a company, whereas a CTO, chief technology officer, would be focused on the external, the the client-facing things. And uh, it's funny you bring that up. uh, I host a podcast called Status Go, and I was just editing an episode that's going to come out, I think, next week. Uh, so the first part mid mid July uh, for those that are listening after the fact, uh, and it's called the CIO is dead. Long live the oh. CIO, <laughs> and it's a it's a conversation about all these different CXO titles. You have CIO, CTO, CDO, CDXO. I mean, it goes on and wow. on and on, right? So how does um, one work their way up through technology, which which you seem to have? You kind of started with programming, coding took a detour or right turn to management and then got to the C-suite. So if someone's a technologist and says, okay, hey, I want to be like Jeff, how do I <laughs> how do I blueprint my career um, with him? How does one g- get a seat f- from a technology perspective in that C-suite? Wow, that, that is such a great question, Emily. I, I would say the thing that made a difference for me in my career, first of all, when I got into management, uh, I found out that I I loved it as much as I loved programming, maybe even more. Um, it was in, instead of solving problems with code, you were now working with people and helping people grow uh, in their careers. I always saw my primary function as helping my team get the most out of their careers. Uh, the work itself would would follow suit, right? Uh, I always I always told them that the proudest day in my career will be when you walk in my office to resign because you're going down the street to be CIO somewhere else. Ah. It means I did my job. Wow. But but anyway, I, I say the biggest difference for me, uh, difference maker, was realizing that it's not tech for technology's sake. And that that's almost become a cliche. But it was about the business. And so focusing on whatever whatever industry I happened to be working in at the time, what is their business? How do they make money? What problems are they solving for their customers? And how can I help with technology? Right? So technology was the afterthought. Not, not necessarily afterthought, but you're always looking at these problems through the lens of technology, 
But a lot of times, challenges that businesses are facing don't have anything to do with tech. It's mm. it's people, it's process, yeah. and then technology. And, and we say that so much that it has become cliche, but it's so true. So I focused on learning as much about the respective business I was in as I could. Uh, my first CIO job was in commercial real estate development. So, you know, I, I had a buddy that uh, was in kind of commercial real estate and construction, and I asked him for some advice. And he he said, remember two things, hard hat and muddy boots. It's like, what are you talking about? He said, they will not listen to you unless you have a hard hat and your boots are muddy. Okay. You got to be out on the job site. It's the only way to do it. And I took that to heart. And so I would travel around at our job sites and I can remember standing up on top of buildings as they were being built and, and uh, work and talking with the construction managers. And, and that just kind of played through my whole career um, I left that CIO role and became CIO for the Goodwill organization here in central Indiana. Completely different organization, completely different business. But how do they, it's a nonprofit, but how do they make money? What problems are they solving? Right. Uh, right. And so I did the same thing there. Is I, I would go on uh, uh, ride-alongs with the senior vice president of retail. And we'd go to visit the stores and I'd get to see the stores through their eyes. What are they looking at? What questions do they have? What problems are they facing and what challenges? Mm -hmm. And again, how can I bring technology to, to bear on those problems? I think that's an element a lot of C-suite executives miss. And I've seen it in lots of different areas. I'm probably the furthest away from technology, but as an example, I've seen very good um controllers become CFOs and they're very good at the accounting piece of it, looking backwards and, and they can do spreadsheets and models, but they don't understand what's behind the numbers. They don't yeah. understand what that actually means for the business and in the real world. And that disconnect, it, it hurts them and is a huge disadvantage. So I'm, I'm hearing it's very similar in the technology yes. arena and world. Like, Hey, if you don't really understand what's happening and are ingrained and entrenched in that, you're not going to be able to support the business in the way you should. Is that, yeah, um, is that what I'm hearing? Absolutely. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's understanding the business and, it, and it's also, you know, we used to call these skills soft skills. It's things like collaboration, communication, uh, team building. Uh, I, I think they're essential skills. And, and I think many times, whether you're in the technology uh, uh, department or division of a company or the finances, the example you were you were giving, uh, you've got to have those soft skills because you've got to be able to communicate and collaborate with those around you. One of the best. So my first, I believe he was a CIO, and he was the first person to ever sit me down and say, "Hey, Emily, you clearly don't know like what we do. Let me sit down and whiteboard what a sprint is." And he gave uh -huh. me this analogy of like a train leaving the station every two weeks, and you got to get all the requirements on the train for it to come back and give you something. And so, I you know, gun to one Harry, if he's listening, he sat me down, and he just like the happiest guy, and it was such a positive experience. But being able to yes. communicate to your internal stakeholders, hey, here's what this means and here's how we work together and here's what I give yeah. you and here's what I need from you. Um, so, you know, that's a that's a critical piece as well. Yeah. And I'm wondering, how do you how do you ensure that, okay, I've heard this from Jeff, I have this intention 
to get aligned with the business. I'm going on ride-alongs. I'm wearing the hard hats. Um, how do I make sure that like my technology roadmap is aligning or, or running up into like the overall business strategy? Is that a question? Oh, that is a, yeah, I, I, I'm smiling because, uh, you know, we've been talking about IT and business alignment almost since there was IT, right? So almost 50, 60 years. Um, I, I've, I've always been the one that my, my mantra was, if you're talking with a, if you're talking about alignment, you're not aligned, mm. right? You have to be so much uh, if you understand the business and you understand the business strategies, and and I'll insert here that sometimes some of your peers on the executive team might not understand the strategies. <laughs> uh, um, but if you can see those strategies, then you begin to get this picture of how technology underpins those strategies and and you begin to map your roadmap or draw your roadmap to align with that the the other key piece that i think that many many leaders uh sometimes struggle with right is that ability to stand in the future and imagine what that reality is like we're all great at knowing what our current reality is right we can look around yeah. it uh, professionals we're, we are so great at assessments <laughs> we can do assessments all day long which is current state but you have to be able to envision the future state what's the future that you want to create not the future that's going to be created for you mm -hmm. what future do you want to create right now today the big news in tech uh, all year has been uh, AI and generative AI. Chat GPT is an example in BARD and others. That's all great. But three years from now, four years from now, five years from now, what is your business going to look like because of ah. AI? How's it going to change? And if you're waiting on someone to tell you, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> Right, you're not you have win that to race. know. You have to know enough about Lock Property Group or Goodwill Industries or Intervision Systems, whatever company you're you're working for. You have to know enough about them and their market that you can do scenario planning. The military is great at scenario planning, right? It's not. Uh, it's not strategic planning. It's strategic foresight. Hmm. So you uh, you uh, you look in the future five years from now and you imagine what things are going to be like. And then you say, okay, if that is the future that we're trying to build, then I need to do this. And if I need to do this, then I need to do this before this. Then I need to do that. And you kind of work your way backwards and you end up with a roadmap. The analogy I use a, a lot, Emily, is um, a, a children's maze, right? Yeah, you, you get those those diagrams on a sheet of paper or now on a computer and, and the kids follow the maze to the end. Have you ever noticed that it's easier to solve the maze if you start at the end? Mm. You can Go find backward. you can find the way backwards. <laughs> so you're solving this maze. You're starting in the future and saying, if this is true, I know where I'm starting from. Now let me go from the future back to present day and build my roadmap to support the business that way. Right. So you zoom out and say, what's 
I'm being proactive and being thoughtful and intentional. What's my end goal? And then reverse engineer what needs yeah. to happen, you know, this year, this quarter, this month, today. And you have to be flexible because yep. you're probably wrong. <laughs> your your <laughs> plan will change 12 times, but that's why you have a yes. plan so you can change yeah. it. That's right. Uh, you know, the business will take a, a, a dramatic left turn or Lord will have a global pandemic yep. that changes uh, everything. But it's it's also like um, another analogy I love to use is that of canoeing on a river. When you're canoeing on a river, you're not going parallel to the banks all the way down the stream, right? You're 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 shifting and you're flowing with the current and you're you're going around obstacles, but you're always moving forward. I like that analogy. Your goal. Yeah. Uh, same thing with a business or same thing with a with an IT strategy you find ways to move forward. If you do get disrupted or better stated interrupted by something, how can I, I still have this vision for what the future is? I still have this ideal of where I'm going on my canoe trip. How can I make progress and still deal with my current issue at hand? Okay. I like that canoe analogy and that can be used for several things, but yes, yes. Okay. I like that. Get in your canoe and you're going in a general direction and you shift around. I love that. Yeah. Um, so we've talked about the importance of communication and I will just say I'm a, I'm not a technologist. And so I, um, really appreciate someone who can communicate effectively. Like they are knowledgeable and they know their stuff on the technology land, but they can talk to me in a way that I will understand and not be condescending. And I remember when we were doing, uh, we had these business scorecards and we had these, you know, product and technology would present, we'd have burn down charts and points and everything. And we had product owners who were assigned and they would, among other things, be the translators from like the technology people to the, the business stakeholders and, and be a translator essentially. And I so appreciated like Nick Tucker, like Nick Tucker, if you're out there, I so appreciated how you handled those situations and helped me understand. Jeff, we also had developers who I don't want to paint too broad a brush, but would show up at like 12.30, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, wear <laughs> flip-flops, you know, maybe some socks and a shirt and shorts, and kind of grunt at you as they walked in. And they would code all day with headphones on. And we would joke that we'd like shove Doritos under the door and put Coke uh -huh. on their desk and just leave them alone. So if, if you've got kind of a whole range of different people, um, tell me about, you know, how you, how you get the most um, out of each person's career, depending on where they're at. Oh, that, that, is, that, you know, there's a reason that that's a stereotype is because <laughs> it is so true. Uh, right. I, I can remember. Uh, we were hiring for uh, a network engineer. This was way way back, and uh, um, I'm drawing a blank on the on the HR professional's name at the at the moment. Stacy. So uh, Stacy uh, is interviewing these network engineers, and one afternoon she comes into my office and closes the door. Well, better stated, she kind of slams the door, and she looks at me and she says, Jeff what in the hell have you done to me? These people can't even carry on a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, well, they're probably pretty good at what they do then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but, but I think more than anything, I, I think we need to blow up that stereotype because the, the stereotypical developer that you mentioned, yes, 
you know, they, they put their headphones on and they, and they crank out some, some great code, but if they're not listening to what's going on in the business, what are they coding? Mm. Right. They're, 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 what they're writing, what they're creating in code is the translation of someone's translation of someone's translation of someone's translation that finally gets to them. It's a long game of telephone tag. Yeah. Um, are they really building the right thing? Um, and I think if I, I'm, I am a 100% proponent of flow, that if you're in a creative uh, 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 state, if you're a creative person, if you're building content for, for marketing or whatever it is, you need some focus time. So if you're writing code, you do need that focus time, but you also have to know and understand the business and the industry that you're in. You have to know the people that you're writing that code for. Uh, and if you're writing for an end product, you have to know and understand the customer. Have you ever, have, has that developer, after you shove the Doritos <laughs> under the door, have they ever talked to a real customer? Mm -hmm. Probably yeah. not. That's a great point because I remember one individual who, you know, I had great respect for him. He wasn't like the most uh, social person, but he, I was like, you don't need to be in your job. You're good at what you do. But he was like, Emily, you talk to customers and I want to hear them. Can I yeah. be on a call? And you don't, I don't want to talk. I don't want to even be on this call. I just want to listen. And I said, absolutely. You can be in as many of those as you'd like. And so he would come in, take his notes, like say two words to me and then leave. But he, he developed great code or whatever he did to yeah. produce a really good product that we could use and our clients loved. It's, so. it's essential because we will hear and see things because of our technology background. We will see and hear things that you don't, mm. um, right? As, as you're talking with the customer, we're going to hear some nuance, that maybe you don't, It's it goes back to what I was talking about earlier, those ride-alongs, being able to see what's going on in the store through the eyes of the senior vice president of retail, but always also with that lens of technology. And when, when uh, they're talking about the struggle of long lines at the cash registers, what can I do as a technologist to make those lines move faster? Ah. Uh, and that may not even be something that they asked for. They just may have been, oh crap, look at this line. It might have been the <laughs> end of it. Um, but your 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 question earlier was how do you uh how do you understand the strengths? And I'm paraphrasing phrasing a little bit, how do you understand the strengths and use all the members of your team to accomplish whatever it is you're trying to accomplish? And I think that is such an essential part of leadership whether you're in technology, whether you're in marketing, whether you're in HR, whether you're in product, is you become, as a leader, you become the conductor. Ah, yeah. And you don't have to be able to play first chair of every <laughs> instrument in the orchestra, but you better understand the role that each chair and each instrument brings to the overall composition that you're trying to play. Uh, and then it's your job to bring out the best. A good conductor will bring out the best from the violin section or the percussion section because of the way that they're interacting with them. And I think that is a great analogy for leadership of any kind, whether, like I say, whether you're in technology or if you're in a different group.
Absolutely. I love that. And it's, you know, bring up the strings or like now you fade out or kind of like, yeah. how does it work together to create a great symphony overall? So yeah, yeah, another great analogy. Are there any tools or frameworks that work well for um, leaders in technology? I know like, you know, I use like mind mapping and visualization and things like that. Is, is there anything that that you would recommend? Oh, there are, there are so many uh, frameworks and, uh, and, and tools. What what I have found is uh, I, I pull what works out of each one of them. Um, you know, I, I, when, when I would do strategic planning, strategic foresight um, for, uh, for my roles, we would use a combination and I'll, I'll throw some acronyms uh, out at the audience. They're irrelevant, but you'll get the idea. Um, ITIL, CMMI, um, this, uh, um, now I, now I'm drawing a blank on what they all are, but, but you've got, you've got like 27 different frameworks of how to, how to do this. Um, and I would look at and understand each one and then pull the things out that made sense for us. Uh, I tell you the, the best overriding framework that, um, that I ever found. And I, I use this in every uh, department that I ever ran, uh, was a book called, um, Enterprise Architecture as Strategy. And it was written uh, by uh, Jeannie Ross and a group of people at MIT. Uh, and what I loved about that book is, yes, it was a technology book, but it didn't even really talk about technology until chapter six. <laughs> it talked about the business oh. and understanding the, the business's operating model. And so uh, it, it's really going in and defining the architecture of what's going on for that company. There's a great new book. Uh, a friend of mine, Wendy Keen, wrote it. Uh, it's called Strategy to Reality. And it's that same kind of thing, right? It's business architecture, understanding how the business works. And, and within those, there, there are some frameworks to help you bring it down a level. If you're talking to a group of IT professionals and you say architecture, they may think network architecture. <laughs> they may think application architecture. They may think data architecture. This is a level or two above that. Um, and it's, you know, is your uh, is, is your business built on a uh, replication business model like Starbucks? You walk into a Starbucks and every single one of them is the same. Yep. Right, that's a replication business model. Uh, is it a is it a coordination business model where where each location kind of does things their own way, or each business unit kind of does things their own way, but they're coming back with some back uh, uh, standardization back to the the mothership, if you will. <laughs> Understanding those helps you build the 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 IT systems to support those businesses. Um, a, a great example when I when I walked into to Goodwill, uh, they had a very centralized IT department. In other words, it was a department of about twenty or thirty people, and they supported the entire business. Well, when you start looking at at Goodwill, especially here in Central Indiana, they have five very disparate business units. They've got retail that everybody knows and loves about Goodwill, but they also have education. They own and operate high schools. They have manufacturing. They, they do contract manufacturing. Uh, 
they have a, a foundation for fundraising. So all these different business units. Well, how are you adequately supporting them with a team of generalists yes. across those disparate business units? So it not only starts to provide a framework for how you're going to build your systems, it's going to define a framework for how you're going to staff and train your team. Uh, I need I need somebody on my team that's very adept at retail technology. I need somebody on my team that's very adept at education technology, right? And so you start to train them and build your team up as a framework to support your business. Mm. And if you were talking to someone who was early in their career or even in the middle of their career, and they reached that fork in the road where you're like, I went to management, but you probably could have become an even deeper subject matter expert in something. How would you help them discern that decision? That is one of the most challenging uh, pivot points in in a uh, in a technologist uh, technology professional's career. And, and my guess is it happens in other disciplines as well. Uh, obviously, I know technology well. You come to this point where you are really faced with this decision. And and to me, for me, the decision was I could have stayed a, a programmer, a software developer. I was I was pretty good at it, uh, right? I could have done that uh, the the rest of my career, but I would have plateaued at some point um, and plateaued financially, plateaued in uh, challenge, uh, plateaued in technology. Right. There's always new technology, but when you're at a company, you kind of you, you hit that level uh, at some point. Um, or you could go to the management role and have a larger impact. Right. Instead of just writing my code uh, <laughs> and working on a team, I can be that conductor that or uh, uh, and and help the entire team do more uh, impact an entire company. Uh, impact an entire industry. Um, and so you're really faced with that choice of what's going to drive you and what you want to get out of your career. And again, for a long time, I thought I was, I, I loved writing code. I was just going to do that. I was, I was the long haired hippie cobalt program. It's hard to tell these days with the post, but, but you know, I, I was going to write cobalt code the rest of my life. Um, and uh, I kind of got drug kicking and screaming by a couple of friends of mine mm -hmm. into, into management and found out not only did I like it, but I was pretty good at it. Yeah. So there's obviously nothing wrong with being uh, the pure coder or like the Dorito guy. Oh, but no. if a Dorito guy is listening, I'm just making up Dorito guy. And I he's like, and he's, and he's like, um, you know what Jeff is saying sounds really good, but I can't do that. Or like, that's too far of a stretch for me. I'm not, I don't have the management skills. I don't have the communication piece, but I, but I kind of want to in the back of my mind, what would you say to them in terms of here's how, here's a first step you would take in that direction? I, I, my first step uh, recommendation would be to, to get a clear understanding of your strengths and weaknesses. Um, and uh do it in such a way that, okay, I'm a great coder. Well, what does that really mean? Mm. What that really means is I could think logically and I could solve problems. 
right? When you, when you peel back the layers of the onion. So think about your strengths and weaknesses. And then what I encourage you to do, some people will encourage you to ignore your weaknesses, focus on your strengths, make your weaknesses irrelevant. It's a misquote from Peter Drucker. That's not actually what he said, but we all say he said it. Uh, (laughs) What he said was you have to have a deep understanding of your strengths and weaknesses. Um, And look at your weaknesses in, with the lens of, are there weaknesses in this list of weaknesses that I can rely on those around me to, to supplement? Or are there weaknesses in this list that I cannot rely on someone around me? I have to do it myself. Communication is one of those. Uh, as an example, I knew at some point uh, I'd been in management for a while um, and was learning kind of the management ropes. And I really knew that at some point I wanted to be CIO. That, that was a goal of mine. And so I had this fear and what I would call a weakness at the time on public speaking. I hated it. I could not stand to have a conversation with more than one person at a time. I couldn't talk in a meeting, much less if I had to present to a group I'd be up all night the night before. Me too. Yeah. Game over. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and now we, now we both make our <laughs> living doing this. That's pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, but it, to me, that was, if I had this vision for what I want our department to do as the conductor, right? If I handed that off to somebody else and say, hey, communicate this to the group, who who's the group going to follow? They're going to follow the person I handed it off to. They're not going to follow me. And so I had to figure out a way to get over this, that, that particular fear, um, but also build on that weakness. And I'm not suggesting that every weakness that you have, you're going to focus on it. And all of a sudden it's going to be a strength and you're going to make your living doing that right. way. Um, but I knew that in order to be a CIO, I had to be able to get up in front of groups and talk and convey ideas like we were talking about earlier, convey complex ideas in a way that the audience understands. And so I put myself intentionally in situations that forced me to do that, forced me out of my comfort zone um, and and enabled me to now, you know, I, I go out in front of an audience of a couple thousand and give a, you know, am I still nervous? Heck yeah. But I've been able to channel that nervous energy into adrenaline uh, and go out and rock the stage. Right. Um, And so I think, I I think for those that are listening, the the Dorito guy that's listening (laughs) uh, or or Dorito gal uh, that's listening, um, think about what it is that you would like to do. And if you're thinking that management leadership is a step that you want to go, understand your strengths and weaknesses. There are dozens of assessments online that you can take. Ask people around you, what do you think my strengths are? Um, um, And make a list and then look at that list and identify the ones that you might need to do a little bit of work on so that they're, there they may not turn uh, you may not turn a weakness into a strength but you've eliminated it as a liability i like that you i like at least neutralized it 
And I really like the exercise of identify your weaknesses. So be self-aware, number one. And then also within that list, there's, you know, subcategories where it's like, uh-huh. I can I can delegate, I can build a team around me for this. And these are the ones that I can't. And I just yeah. need to have a deliberate effort to get good at. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And I will say as a, as a non-technologist or someone who is not literate in any sort of code in any fashion, um, we don't need you to be Shakespeare. You know, so like, I mean, like going back to my old, like we knew Jason was weird. Like Jason was just Jason, but you know, that's kind of, it was endearing at a certain level. So, um, so don't, you know, don't have to think you're trying to be perfect, um, or being like, oh, here's the sales, you know, VP and he's, you know, super, uh, good presenter and all this stuff. So you just need to convey the information, um, that's in your head. Um, and one of the most valuable things that I got is when people would listen to the client calls, like you were saying, they would hear things that I didn't and they would say, oh, Emily, there's an option to do X, Y, and Z. And I was like, there is, cause I didn't know that was on the table. So yeah, just yeah. even saying stuff like that and bringing it into someone's awareness can be, uh, can be helpful. And I'll Absolutely. always remember we had these meetings where, um, uh, I would get in trouble for saying to someone in IT or development, oh, like this and this and this, we need to adjust this in the UI. That should be easy. Like that should be quick. <laughs> and everyone would be like, no, no, no. <laughs> and I like they have these faces staring at me, rightfully so, because uh, they created the system for us more simple people. Like, hey, when you throw something out like that, describe it, describe the scope, describe the requirements, and we will tell you how many points it is mm-hmm. a certain amount yeah. of points take a certain amount of time and so that to me was like oh so that's actually very difficult and that's a six-month project not a you know yeah. six minute do it so even that kind of context is helpful so just trying to to help out the technologists speak to us non-technologists it, it is it's it's that communication though right that someone took the time and say to say no we'll, we'll tell us the problem and what you're mm-hmm. trying to solve tell us your requirements and we'll tell you how many points that is all of a sudden, that that's them communicating with you, non-technically. Yep. Right? You just know that hey, this is this is this seven thing points. Is this one's twenty 10. points, and this yeah. one is a hundred points. Yeah. Uh, now you've got a way to understand that that the difference in in complexity. I think that's brilliant on their part. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Anything else? Uh, we've covered a lot of ground here. Is there anything else for? technologists. I love technology doesn't get a lot of airtime. I'm so glad you have a podcast dedicated to this, but it's usually kind of the glitz and glamour of sales and marketing and even operations and making that efficient. But technology um, is is the lifeblood for a lot of organizations. So anything else that you would want to cover or throw out there? Well, I think I think the the adage now is that every company is a technology company mm-hmm. uh, that uh, even even industries that you wouldn't consider uh, as uh, technologically advanced, like agriculture. I, I sit here in the middle of of uh, Indiana in the soybean fields and cornfields, but ag ag is high tech, um, mm-hmm. and so you if you're out there in a different kind of industry, when you really think about it, tech drives what you're doing. So the we we've talked a lot about what the technology professional needs to do uh, to be able to communicate. The other side of that coin that I I communicate a lot with CEOs, Mm -hmm. uh, COOs, CFOs, is 
they don't have to be technology experts, but take the time to learn enough of it that you can carry on a conversation with your IT leaders. Um, A CEO typically uh, understands the spreadsheets, right? They understand (laughs) the P&L, the balance sheet, the cash flow. They have an understanding of finance. They may not be a CFO. They may not want to be a CFO, but they have that base understanding. You need that same base understanding about technology. Right. Because it is driving your business as much as the CFO is. And that's a really apt question. I should have asked the reverse instead of, you know, or I sort of asked in addition to what developers and technologists can do to communicate well to non-technologists, the reverse is true. So if people are, most people listening to this will be working with a tech person in their company at some level, if they are listening saying, oh, yes, I do want to be able to have a conversation at a higher level, what what is their best option to go and learn how to do that? I, I do a, a session uh, every year with a, a group of uh, HR professionals who are emerging leaders in the HR space. And I always give them an action to go do. And that action is go have a conversation with your IT leader. <laughs> Uh, sit them down. And, and a year or so ago, it was ask them how they're doing because of the pandemic, hmm. right? It uh, um, Businesses back in 2020 found out exactly how much they rely on technology yeah. uh, when all of a sudden we're not all in the same office building anymore. Uh, so take the time to, to ask them. But if, if you're nervous about asking them questions, Ask them questions about your area of responsibility. So using HR as an example, if you're in HR, ask them, what are the HR systems and where are they? Okay. Are they in the cloud? Are they on premises? Are they, you know, just get an understanding and and get it, ask the questions in something that you can relate mentally back to. Oh, yes, I use Workday every day as an HR professional. And that's a cloud-based application. It's a software as a service application. Now I understand. But I also use this uh, this software for uh, managing uh, uh, travel and expenses. Right. That is an on-premises application. Oh, now I understand how much the technology team has to be involved with, with each one. So you start to learn a little bit. Uh, but you're tying it back to something you're familiar with to help connect those dots. You have a framework to kind of place things on. Yeah. yeah. And as you were describing that, I was remembering at a company I worked for, something really valuable that we did was brown bag lunches. And uh-huh. so people would get free lunch on, you know, one every, you know, Thursday of the third Thursday of the month. And one department would just present on like, here's what we do. And here's the current project we're working on. And people got to ask questions. It was a very casual, non-threatening environment. People came for the free food, but they also uh-huh. learned a lot from their colleagues. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's a great one too. Yeah, that is a great way of doing it. Great. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge and wisdom. And if people are interested in reaching out to you, um, you know, where, how do you help people and how can they reach out to you? Well, Emily, thank you so much, first of all, for um, having me on your show. I really appreciate it. I've enjoyed getting to know you. Uh, and I'm going to spread the word about your podcast to oh, thank you. To, uh, uh, to my followers. So I am 
Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, really easy to find. Um, uh, Jeff Tun on LinkedIn. Uh, I also have a website, jeffreystun.com. I was really original in my, <laughs> in my naming convention. Um, I've written a couple of books and uh, I host a podcast uh, for technology professionals. But even if you're not directly involved in technology, I think you'll get some benefit from it. It's called Status Go. Uh, so check us out. We're for the technology professional that wants to break out of the status quo. Ah, there we go. Words. Uh, so we'd love to love to have you as a listener on that show as well. After you listen to the Emily show. <laughs> Thank show. you, sir. Yes. Well, ab- absolutely. And uh, we will have all of that information in the show notes. So if you're listening, please go reach out to Jeff or at least listen to his podcast. You've seen how great he is at communicating and the knowledge he has. Um, so, Jeff, thank you once again. And uh, we hope to have you back on. Thank you, Emily. It's been fun. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, share and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 